All right. Well, good morning once again, and we're glad. I'm glad to see all of you here this morning. And I just want to give you an update. I didn't uh, get the chance to update you guys uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, on Easter we took up a special Easter offering this year for our Gateway Recovery House, that helping uh, men over at our St. Albans campus kind of get back on their feet in the recovery community. And we had a goal of ten thousand dollars. Uh, for that, and we ended up raising, or you ended up raising and, and giving nearly twenty-five thousand uh, dollars for for that. And so, uh, y'all knocked it out of the park. It was amazing. It's been amazing to see God working uh, through that uh, that project and that and that house. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it too much, but. Uh, there were several articles written on, on a national level about this home, this recovery home here in St. Albans, West Virginia, uh, to the point where a man in California who owns a couple offices in Hurricane here ended up donating over $5,000 to it just because he read about it online uh, through a story. And that's just, uh, it's been, been awesome to see the reach of God in the midst of this. Uh, this is going to allow us to double, double our occupancy and provide a, a more of like a, a recreational area for these men and just provide them with stability and a home uh, in the midst of their recovery journey. And so thank you, thank all of you for your continued generosity and that and in so many other areas uh, here at Gateway. We're truly not able to do the things that we do in this community without you and your generosity. So thank you. All right, so there was once a, a young farmer who uh, was out one day, he was tending to the fields, and he got a little, he got tired, so he decided that he was going to take a break. And on his break, he was up looking at the clouds, uh, and as he was watching, he sees the clouds, they start forming into this, this peculiar formation. And as he continued to watch, he noticed that they began to form the letters G-P-C. Oh man, he started getting really excited. He got really ambitious and he thought, oh man, he just knew this was it. And so maybe it was the Holy Spirit or maybe it was a little too much sun. But this young farmer got real excited because he became convinced that the Lord was calling him to go preach Christ. And he thought, ah, oh, this is my calling. God has called out to me, and here I am. So he schedules a meeting with the elders of his, of his church, and he, he tells them, God, God has called me to the ministry, and I am going to, can I come out this Sunday and preach? And they were a little taken aback, but they, they liked his excitement and his vigor to preach the word of Jesus. And so he went out that Sunday, and he preached with all he had. And two hours later, his long, tedious, incoherent sermon came to an end. And everyone sat there in a confused, stunned silence. Confused as to what he was talking about. Confused as to why these elders would allow him up there in the first place with all of this rambling. And as the young man left the stage that morning, one of the elders pulled him to the side, pulled him close and said, Son, I think maybe you were wrong. I think... Perhaps God was actually telling you to go plant corn. 
So maybe you've had some confusing moments with your calling in this life, just like this young man. But this morning we are starting a new series uh, on the life of Timothy, a man that you've probably heard of if you've been in the church for a while. Uh, He's kind of hard to miss in the New Testament because his name appears in 12 of the 27 New Testament books. I mean, that's a lot. That's, That's more than anybody other than the Apostle Paul and, of course, Jesus. But that's more than Peter. That's more than John. I mean, Timothy is mentioned a lot. And Timothy was the young apprentice of the Apostle Paul, and he has two books named after letters to him by Paul. Now, he would go on to be the preacher of the church at Ephesus, and Paul would refer to him in 1 Timothy 2 as my true son in the faith. And as we move through this series, we encourage you to study Timothy's life along with us as part of your own Bible study, Bible reading at home. And if you're not reading your Bible consistently, well, what better time to start? Today, you can start and you can follow along with us. And you can actually use the QR code that we have here. We've put it up and you can scan the QR code. And then, of course, that has our announcements. And if you have any prayer requests, we want to hear about those. You can submit through our information card here. But the reason we put this up now is uh, it has our sermon outline this morning. And on page two of the sermon outline, we've listed all of the text, all the scripture text that we're going to be doing throughout the series. And so that way you can read and be prepared for each week's message. And no, that doesn't mean that you don't have to come. Uh, We still want you to come. But for today, we're going to be looking at chapter 16 of the book of Acts. is where we see the first mention of young Timothy. Now this is where we see his calling into ministry, and unlike our young farmer friend, I think his calling was legit. Now before we get to chapter 16, I want to look at the end of chapter 15 so we can have a better understanding, a better context of how Timothy's calling to ministry came to be in the first place. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts 15 and 16 this morning. To start out with, we're going to be in Acts 15, verse 36. And Luke, the same Luke that wrote his gospel, uh, Luke writes, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, that's the Mark that wrote the gospel, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." So here we see an honest disagreement between two close friends. The Apostle Paul and his close partner and friend are plotting out their next move, but they disagree on what that should be. And neither one of them are backing down on the least bit. Has that ever happened to anybody here? You ever just disagree with a friend of yours over something, and man, you feel so strongly about it that you refuse to back down or compromise? I mean, it happens, right? We all have different personalities, different, different philosophies, different upbringings. We can be friends with people, even best friends with people, and see eye to eye on most things. But there are some things that we just won't budge on. We stick to our guns, and I'm not backing down from this. I mean, maybe you feel really strong about pineapple on pizza. 
And that means that there are just some people that you can't eat pizza with, or you have to order, order your own little personal pizza. I don't know. We each have our convictions. We each have our important things that we stick to. Maybe that's yours. I don't know. But we see that Paul and Barnabas here are having an honest disagreement. And for some reason, we're, we're not told why, John Mark had left them at a previous stop on their journey. Now, maybe he got sick. Maybe he got scared. Maybe he didn't agree with how they were proceeding. proceeding. But this is the same Mark that wrote the gospel, like I mentioned. So it's not like he abandoned his faith. It's not like he was like, I'm out, I'm done, I just can't, I don't know about this Jesus thing anymore. No, he was still engaged with the gospel. But whatever his reasoning was, Paul wasn't having it. He didn't like it. Paul felt deserted by him leaving. Paul didn't have time for his antics. He had work to do. He had to get on the road. I, I can't be dealing with people that might leave me again. I, I need people I can count on. And maybe some of you are like Paul. No nonsense. Get the job done. Save the drama for your mama. I need people that are committed to the cause. Paul needs people he can depend on. And whatever happened with Mark previously, Paul has decided he cannot be trusted again. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not dealing with it anymore. Barnabas, on the other hand, he wanted to give Mark a second chance. Now, maybe the reason is, is that Mark is actually Barnabas's cousin. And so maybe he feels like he kind of has to stick up for, for Mark. See what had happened was, and, and it's okay now. I don't know how many, how many of you are fans of the Andy Griffith show, but there is a character in season two, I think he only appears in one episode, but his name is Cousin Virgil. And Cousin Virgil is a little bit of a goofy guy, uh, and he just, no matter how hard he tries, he just can't seem to get it right. And so he comes in off the bus, and Barney, Barney is like, Andy, you gotta see what he can do. He is great. Oh man, and he tries to put him on all these projects, and at every turn, Virgil fails, right? And Barney builds him up, and he just messes it up even worse than it was before. But Barney keeps sticking by him the whole time. No matter how many times he fails, he keeps sticking by him. And that's kind of the, the vibe that I get here from Barnabas and Mark. Look, Paul, I, I know. I know he left. I, I don't know. I was mad too. But he, come on, he's a good guy. He can do this, right? We see in Acts 4.35 that Barnabas translates to son of encouragement. And, and he's standing beside his cousin Mark despite his earlier desertion. And man, what a good thing that he did. It's believed that Mark's gospel was the first one written. How many people have come to know and love Jesus as a result of his work and as a result of Barnabas sticking by him saying, you got this, you can still do this, I believe in you. Would it ever have been written without the support and mentorship of his cousin Barnabas? And both sides of this honest disagreement, they have good points. Paul needed somebody he could count on. We're going out on this mission trip. We're going all over the place. I can't, I can't have somebody just bailing out on me again. Barnabas believed in Mark. And there's not necessarily a right or a wrong side. But I wanted to cover the disagreement this morning because we need to know that sometimes godly people will have disagreements Reading this, this passage shows us what happens when two God-honoring, Christ-following people disagree. Everybody, it's okay to disagree with people. It's okay. We're not robots. You're your own person. You can disagree. Just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean that they're a bad person. We don't have to yell at them or insult them or block them, right? 
unfollow them, maybe. But no, we don't have to block them. We don't have to go that far, right? We can disagree agreeably. That's okay. Two Jesus followers can passionately believe two different things. And it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It doesn't mean that one loves Jesus more than the other. It doesn't mean that you can't be friends any longer. I mean, everybody's out here talking about cancel culture. Well, we need to stop canceling each other over the things that we disagree on. And one of the things that we believe here at Gateway is in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. We need to love one another, my friends, especially when we don't agree. So Paul and Barnabas, they go their separate ways. And Barnabas and Mark, they head off to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas head to Lystra. Now, the last time that Paul was in Lystra, he and Barnabas caused such a ruckus there that both the Jews and the Gentiles attacked them. I mean, you know you really stepped in it. You really kicked the hornet's nest when you get beat up by the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, these guys couldn't get, get along on anything. They couldn't agree on anything, but they agreed on beating up Paul. And, and so, the, you, I mean, when you get them teaming up against you, you've, you've got them big mad, right? They're upset. And so they stone Paul, and, and, and they drag him out of the city because they think they've killed him. They think he's dead. They just drag him out and leave him for dead. But he survives with the help of the believers there. And without Paul's work and perseverance in Lystra, Timothy may never have been a thing. He may never have met his future mentor, Paul, or even heard about Christ. Timothy's future was affected by the work of Paul when he was in Lystra. See, in that church in Lystra, Timothy's mom and grandmother, they start following Jesus. And then they pass it down to Timothy. And so that leads to Timothy starting to follow Jesus. And that would never have been possible without the sacrifice of the Apostle Paul. So that brings us to Acts 16, where we read about Paul and Timothy meeting each other for the first time. And so in verse 1 of chapter 16, we read, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. And what an incredible opportunity this is for Timothy. I mean, he's probably about 20 years old at the time, and now Paul... Paul has offered him an opportunity to partner with him in the advance of the gospel. He gets to go on this amazing mission trip. But what was it that led to this opportunity from from Timothy's perspective? I mean, have you ever wished that that you could be a part of something really big like this? Something historic? I mean, so many people in this world are looking for direction, are looking for purpose. What am I supposed to be doing right now? At some point in your life, you might have wished that you could change the world, right? I want to do something. I want to change the world, mom and dad. I want to change the world. Like, I want to be a part of something big. And as Christ followers, we wish that God would use us in really big ways to use us to write amazing stories in the world. Well, this morning, we're going to look at, at this early pre- period in Timothy's life and using this guided question, what will it take for me 
to become more useful to God? What will it take for me to become more useful to God? And this is a question that is about our calling to serve the Lord. In other words, what would it take for you and me to catch the attention of Jesus as he calls us to do his work? And so there are at least two things that we can learn from Timothy's example as seen here. And the first is the power of a good reputation. In chapter 16, verse 2, we read that the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. He had a good reputation among those who were close to him. And and so if I didn't know you, and I was trying to figure out what kind of person you are, who would I go to? I would go to the people that are closest to you, the people that have known you the longest. I mean, this is what we do in the hiring process, right? Whether you're applying for a job or whether you're hiring somebody, you provide a resume. But that's just a name on a piece of paper, right? Just qualifications. But you provide references so the employer can go out and, and... Talk to people that know you personally and professionally and try to find out what is, your, what is their reputation. What do, what are, I want to find out more about this person. And whatever the people closest to you have to say about you, that, that's your reputation, good or bad. Whether you like it or not, that's your reputation is what the people closest to you think about you. And that's kind of the hard thing about a reputation, isn't it? It's not always something that we get to control. And it's a lot easier to have a bad reputation than a good one sometimes. I mean, there there are times that our reputation is harmed by rumors, by stuff that isn't even true about us. But it can harm our reputation. Benjamin Franklin once said, "It, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. A good reputation can be tarnished with just one mistake. Years of work can be forgotten with just one tweet or one video, one outburst, one failed test. Boom, out the window. When it comes to our reputation in the eyes of the public, there isn't a lot of grace, at least in the eyes of man. In the eyes of Jesus, though, our reputation is always as a child of God, regardless of our past mistakes. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. And when we, get, we give our life to Jesus, whatever happened in the past is gone. It's erased. And we are a new creation in him. Our past does not disqualify us from being used by Jesus. We can still be used by him no matter what happened before. Consider the story of, of Paul here, who told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Though he once had a bad reputation amongst Christ's followers, Paul was not disqualified from serving in the kingdom because of his conversion. But that doesn't mean that we can just go on sinning and not expect there to be consequences along the way. See, though Paul was not disqualified by Jesus, it still took a lot of work by Barnabas and the other disciples to overcome the reputation that Paul had built with his previous life. And you know what? Had he gone on sinning, had he continued that life, it wouldn't have mattered what Barnabas and the other disciples said because had he gone on sinning, people would have been like, yeah, he's still the same guy, right? He still would have been harming his reputation. One of the consequences of our sin is its effect on our reputation. And we cannot ignore the power of a good reputation when it comes to being useful 
in the work of the Lord. Reputation matters when it comes to reaching people for Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, Paul's outlining his expectations for a leader in the church to Timothy, and he says, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. If people don't speak well of you, then it's going to be hard to reach those people with the gospel. If your name is mud, then they're not going to listen to you. I mean, we've been talking in, our, in my small group about how we have to earn our influence in people's life. If you're a jerk, people don't want to listen to you. They don't want to hear what you have to say. But if they think highly of you, if you have a good reputation in those people's eyes, then they'll be more open to what you have to say. And Timothy's church family, they spoke well of him. I doubt that Paul would have chosen Timothy for this journey if he hadn't had a good reputation. Friends, there's power in a good reputation. So let's keep working on ours. Let's continue to work on improving our reputation so we can earn more influence in the lives of those that are around us. What else can we see in Timothy's example to answer the call? Well, we can also see the proof of willing preparation. When it comes to hearing a call to serve and being willing to answer that call with a yes, the question is, what are you willing to do then to say yes? How committed are you really to the call? Are you willing to move your family? Abraham and Sarah, they said yes, and then they had to move. Are you willing to quit your current job and find a new one? Are you willing to earn a lower salary? If your job is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus time and time again, then it might be time to take an honest look in the mirror and ask some questions. Are you willing to give up your possessions? Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all of his before he could even follow him. Are you willing to take time to go and study? Maybe God is calling you to to earn a a formal education so you can be used in new ways, ways you never even would have thought of. Are you willing to give up your vacation time, your personal time to go on a mission trip somewhere? So when it comes to being useful for God, the real question becomes, do you have a heart that's willing to be prepared to serve? Are you willing to prove your desire to serve and, and be useful with your actions? Now, I, we kind of glossed over earlier, but maybe, so maybe you didn't see this, but did you notice what Timothy was willing to do in preparation to serve? Let's go back to, ch- to verse 3 of chapter 16 here. Paul wanted to take him, Timothy, along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And because Timothy's father was a Greek man, he had not been circumcised as a child. Circumcision, it was a Jewish tradition and the source of a lot of tension in the early church. In the period after Jesus was there, there was a lot of uncertainty and they had to work a lot of things out. And there was a lot of fighting over whether circumcision was required for salvation or not. And Paul was the one that fought so hard against that. No, We don't have to circumcise people in order for them to be saved. Jesus took care of that. And so why after all of that fuss and all of that fighting and arguing, why would Paul make circumcision the first thing he does for Timothy before they go off on their mission trip? I mean, can you imagine Paul's critics just waiting and they're calling him inconsistent? You're a hypocrite. You can't make him do that after all that arguing about it. 
Well, here's the explanation. In Acts 15, Paul insisted on circumcision not being a requirement for salvation because he refused to change the gospel for the culture. Remember, the early church had its beginnings in Jewish synagogues and gatherings, and the Jewish audience would have received the message much more easily if he had watered it down, if he had changed it to match what they believed. But there was no place for the approach that said, let's make it easier, let's change the message so it's easier to accept. That's what the Judaizers were doing. That's what Paul was fighting against. And so eventually, Paul, Peter says to them, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? And they were adamant about not requiring circumcision for salvation. But at the same time, Paul was intentional about removing barriers that would prevent the advancement of the gospel. He knew that that he and Silas and Timothy, as they went on their mission trip, that they would undoubtedly face uh, people that that were Gentiles and Jews. They would be preaching to both. And and he didn't want to be bogged down in these endless debates and controversies and, and, and questions about the necessity of circumcision. So this was an act of liberty. Remember, and non-essentials, liberty. This is, we, like we said, it's not an essential for salvation. And we can learn from Paul in this. Listen, we cannot and we must not change the gospel or water down the gospel for the sake of the culture. But we always have to be ready to make changes to advance the gospel in the culture. There is a difference. You, you keep the message change the methods. Keep the message, change the methods. I mean, at Gateway here, we've changed our worship style over the years to, to advance the gospel in the culture. We started live streaming this time last year for the sake of the times and the culture. We've integrated all kinds of different technologies into our services. I, I, there are a ton of examples we could list, but one thing that has not and will not and must not change here at Gateway is our adherence to the gospel and to the truth. We need to change our methods, and often, but we cannot and will not ever change the message of the gospel. And so, Timothy's circumcision was not a hypocritical act. It was not performed to to gain or confirm his salvation. That was safe. That was never in question. It was done as an act of freedom in Christ. And and this is what Paul taught elsewhere, speaking of himself in, in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. For the sake of the gospel. Timothy was willing to do whatever was required of him to be used by God for the sake of the gospel. In a day 
without proper anesthesia or medication. He was willing to go as far as circumcision as a 20-year-old man in preparation to be useful to Paul and to the Lord. What an incredible young man of God. And while our preparation may not be as extreme as that, the question remains, are you willing to do whatever it takes to be used by God and to save some? As humans, we seek comfort. Many of us don't like change. We don't like to be told that we have to give something up especially things that we've worked really hard for. We all have desires and goals, and the problem with any of that, all of that's okay, all of that's good stuff, but the problem with any of that is when we allow that to eclipse Jesus and the work he has called you to. Friends, don't let your comfort hinder your calling. Don't let your comfort hinder your calling. Timothy had to give up some comfort and change his thinking a bit in preparation for the work that God had had set before him. But he was ready to meet the challenges of being fully used by God. What are you allowing to hinder you from saying yes to God's word? Do you desire to be a true son or daughter in the faith like Timothy? Are you listening for God's call on your life? Are you listening for His will or for His direction? Do you want to be more useful in the church and His kingdom? My hope and my prayer is that you do. Love God. Love people. Serve. That's our mission at Gateway. And so we should be seeking ways to be used by God. And if you haven't started already then it's time to get to work on building a good reputation or maybe rebuilding a good reputation. It's time to develop an attitude of willing preparation to do whatever it takes to be in a position to serve wherever God might call you. It's time to start praying and asking God to remove the idols from my life that keep me from being fully devoted to you, even if that might lead to some extreme changes. It's time to start listening to God's unique calling for your life. For those of us who have accepted Christ and his gift of salvation, we should be asking God daily how he wants to use me today. What or who is he calling you to this morning? Every day that we wake up is a new opportunity to be used by God, by God Just like Timothy, you and I are invited to be used by the creator of the universe. He lets us in. And what are we doing with that invitation? What sacrifices are we willing to make to say, yes, Lord, use me? Remember our guided question this morning. What will it take for me to become more useful to God? Friends, we cannot simply take the grace that has been given to us for granted. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So why wouldn't we consider surrendering ourselves completely to his will and his plans for our life? 
Our lives should be a living offering, willing to give up everything for Him. Saved people serve. And so I pray that you'll go from this place this morning saying, here I am, God. I give you everything. And I want to be used by you. This morning, I hope that you'll stand and sing with us as we sing this final song together.